Kira, and welcome back to Kiwi Innovators. I had the great opportunity a couple weeks back to be on a podcast hosted by Rumi Chavez called Jump Out of Bed. I was on the podcast with a good friend of mine, Naomi Tay. We were talking about enterprise design, and I am going to be cross-posting that podcast here. So take a listen. It's really enjoyable. Thank you. Kia ora everybody. Welcome to another episode of Jump Out of Bed podcast series. My name is Rumi Shivaz and I'll be interviewing people who are doing work they love, with whom they love, and the work has meaning. Usually, I only have one guest for my interviews, but today I have the pleasure of hosting two amazing people, Naomi Chai and Sean Muller. Welcome both to the show. Thank you, Rumi. Thank you very much. Right, we'll get cracking. So quick intro, Naomi, mm. you can go first. Thank you. So I'm Naomi Tay. Um, I have been in Wellington for a, a long time now um, and uh, about just over a decade ago came back from my OE um, and since then quite quickly realised that um, I enjoy helping organisations do things differently and better and um, that my curious mindset is actually... Um, a positive thing. Um, and I basically now work for uh, ThinkSeed, an organizational small startup that I, I um, started, um, helping organizations in New Zealand look at how do you actually create curiosity in the workplace, get leadership to um, challenge themselves and others to do things differently, bringing in um, new knowledge or new ways of doing things from overseas. Yeah, with um, a bit of, quite a bit of design thinking involved these days. Right. So what drives you? Um, I think what drives me, that's a really good question, by the way, one of those questions that kind of make you think um, a lot, quite, quite deeply. But at the end of the day, I think what drives me is this. I've always had this fear that, you know, one day I'm going to wake up, wake up in bed and I'll be... Um, old and regret that I didn't actually make a difference. So what drives me is wanting to do the things that I think could actually bring about beneficial change, something that could be meaningful, something I can be proud of one day, whether it works or doesn't, that I've given it all. Good one. And Sean? Um, yeah, so you can tell by my terrible accent that uh, I'm not originally from New Zealand, but um, I've been here in New Zealand and Wellington for the last seven years. Um, came over from the United States, uh, 20 plus years working in IT, large multinational enterprises. And when I got to Wellington, I got the opportunity to do some really exciting things um, with some organizations here in New Zealand. And uh, what Naomi was saying about wanting, what I noticed was about 10 years ago, it, it, my IT career changed. It changed from being, I'm, I'm going into work 
to play with technology stuff to what I really like is helping businesses get outcomes from the technology. And, and I think it was always there. I think I always was driving because I, I can remember back to my early 20s and thinking to myself, this piece of technology is going to make the business better. Um, I want to do this because it's going to make the business better. But the focus really in the last 10 years has flipped and become I'm constantly looking for those better business outcomes. That's If I can make the business better, if I can give them a, a better outcome and use a piece of cool technology to help them get that better outcome, that's really what gets me out of bed in the morning and, and really helps me it really enjoy going to work every day. Right. Now you're working at? So uh, right now I'm contracted to about three different companies, but um, majority of my work I'm doing is for a company called Enterprise IT. Um, and yeah, I'm doing a lot of different work for a lot of different people. Right, right. And Naomi, I forgot to talk about how we met on a beautiful Wellington day. It was <laughs> raining and cold. And, and I remember, remember I told you that some of my best meetings, some of my best meetings I ever had was days where it's cold, miserable raining. That's right, you did. So, so it was love at first sight Aww. for us. <laughs> <laughs> and then you connected. And how, how did you guys meet? Um, actually, that was um, through the work that we were both doing at Ministry of Justice. Yes, it was. Um, so that was, um, was it last? No, a couple of years ago now, right? Yeah, it's almost, almost two years ago, yeah. Yeah. So Matt Mansell, um, who heads up the Enterprise uh, Architecture and Design Group at Ministry of Justice, brought us together mm. um, because we were doing, you were doing some work from um, the architecture yep. side for him and I was doing um, some um, introduction of uh, enterprise design thinking um, for, for Matt but also to challenge the groups in uh, Ministry of Justice, uh, ICT, around what they see they do in the future and how, how would they actually operate in the future um, and, and, you know, empowering them to dream up their future effectively and sell it back to the executives. Um, so, yeah, that's yeah, and what, we, what, what did we... Well, so we were putting together a proposal to have a workshop for yeah. the leadership teams within ICT and Minister of Justice. And the interesting thing was I, I've worked with a lot of designers um, I've never worked with an enterprise designer before, but um, and design thinking is something that I do from the technology side. In fact, I teach ideation classes. And Naomi and I just synced up. I mean, uh, it, it, everything was put stuff on the board, and it was obvious when I put stuff on the board, they're technology-focused stuff. I mean, I, I'm a techie. Um, and, and hers was obviously more humanistic uh, psychology, how people think, how people feel. But the weird thing was, is the things lined up and generated better outcomes. So you could like put them one for one, the technology up against the humanistic side. And together you could see what the better outcomes were going to be out of it. So it was, we, we synced up. Um, and then about a year after that, I was standing in the innovation hub and I looked over and I go, Hey, this, this <laughs> Naomi. And I walked over it and, and, and we caught back up again. And, uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Pam Ingalls, um, also I think talked to you about me and he had talked to me about you. Yeah. And then it was like, yeah, I know Naomi. And 
Yeah, that's right. And and we were both working in uh, for for different ministry. Police were you and, and Ministry of Health were me. We were using the space, and yeah. I was trying to you know uh, introduce the idea of how you use uh, creative space. Uh, into Ministry of Health, but also we were running out of real estate and I really needed some space, if I'm honest, to uh, do some synthesis of of work that I was doing there. Um, Yeah, and that's that's when we synced up again and been doing amazing work since then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I also need to acknowledge Steve Zawodney, who connected you and I now. That's right, we go, Steve and I go way back, yes. all the way back to one of my first jobs ever uh, in Wellington. For um, There was a guy, Paul Le- uh, Levine, like a, an American guy actually, he stood up a, an executive search company and New Zealand was actually one of the um, branches. And that's how Steve Zawadney and I met through um, Access Technology, which isn't here anymore. Um, but way back then, that we did some really cool stuff. When was this? Oh my God! In the early two thousand something, <laughs> in the early two thousands, yeah, all the way on. Uh, where were we? Lampton Key. By the time I met Steve, I think, yeah. Right, amazing man, good man. He's a really good guy. We're yeah. very well connected. He yes. knows the stuff in the market. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So this segues nicely to my next question around the terms enterprise architecture and enterprise design. I think a lot of audience probably it's yeah wouldn't know. I'll let you guys explain it in simple terms. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are people out there that would say, oh, no, 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 I'm a consultant. You can't explain this simply. It's you need a 700-page report to be able to explain <laughs> what those things are. Yes, but uh, we can. We can. Yeah. 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 Um, look, enterprise design. Enterprise design um, is probably not a term that you know we um, talk a lot of or, or use in New Zealand. Um, it is still relatively new, but also not. It's been around for at least a good decade now. Um, some people will say that, oh, I think it's the new enterprise architecture. Well, it's not. What it is, if you think about enterprise architecture, you think about change management, you think about um, agile, all of these different disciplines, right? They're all trying to get better business outcomes, All that enterprise design is, is if you imagine a unified way of folding all of these disciplines to actually get the outcome, that's what enterprise design actually is, bringing it all together. Right, so where's the enterprise architecture for them? So so enterprise architecture is, (laughs) the consultants are going to be rolling over in their graves. Mm the, uh, so enterprise architecture has a really bad name in New Zealand right now, but what it's about is it's about mapping business outcomes to technologies that deliver those business outcomes or assist people in delivering those business outcomes. So you, you get a business architect comes in and, and defines what, what it is you want to do for a business and what the business processes are to do it. And then you hand it to an enterprise architect and they help you design the technology landscape to get you those business outcomes. Um, now, a, a lot of companies will go, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm only 100 people. We're not an enterprise. Enterprise design is not about the size of the organization. Enterprise architecture is not about the size of the organization. It's about y- utilizing the technology in a smart way to get those business outcomes. 
So is is this is a dumb question, but I'll ask you anyway. So the so enterprise design is that the business design? Or? Ah, good question. That's not a dumb question. I mean, um, so in a way, if you think about business, IT, and design, we are used to seeing them as separate entities in some ways, and somehow. Um, at some point, we expect the delivery to actually come together, right? But enterprise design is all of that, all of that together, unified, unifying all of these disciplines and methodologies so that it becomes a bridge to get us from the thinking through to the delivery of enterprise outcomes. When you look at a lot, most organizations, most, including public sector organizations, the way they get to where they're at today is organic. They don't really have a plan. They they may have an idea that they think they want some kind of outcome, but how they get there and how the organization's built up and how it's structured and how you define what those business outcomes are and then how you choose technologies and use technologies is all organic. Enterprise design is about changing that to make conscious decisions to design it to get the best outcomes. And, and some of that may be we're aiming at the wrong outcomes. So there's a business aspect to it, but there's also a delivery aspect to it. So the business architects tend to not care what the delivery is. They only care about what the business processes are to give the business outcomes. The strategic doesn't really care about the business process or the technology. It only cares about um, the direction the company's going. Enterprise design folds all of those things together to make sure that, yes, this is what we're aiming at. It's the right thing to aim at. And here's how we're going to get there without organically growing into doing it. Yeah, considering all of the elements that's actually going to get us to the outcome. So it isn't just a one thing. It's a multidisciplinary thing that is, if you like, the gel that is bringing together the disciplines that have for far too long worked in silos or, Mm. you know, uh, looking at... Um, the perspective from where they're standing. Yeah, I, that's how I would call it. Yeah, yeah mm. absolutely. So from New Zealand point of view, so we are behind the ball game on it, you know, on this journey? Look, I think we have pockets where there are leaders that have come into New Zealand or have, you know, um, um, whether organically fell into it because they just, you know, uh, are that way inclined to see how everything fits together or not, have tried to do some stuff like this. They may not have known that it's enterprise design. I, for one, did not always know about enterprise design. You know, I started with trying to do um, service architecture, trying to get answers for um, change architecture and design, only to find that there was a way for me to be able to just take all of these different tangents, viewpoints, and elements to um, fold them and, and make them more cohesive in order to explain how from start to finish things actually needs to come together um, and, and why there are so many different elements beyond just one or two or three disciplines that needs to fold and why we need a team or collective teams of people working in a very agile manner. And I don't mean big A, small A, agile, I mean like working cohesively together, um, merging between the boundaries of what we know. So what is the big A and small A agile? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the agile that she's alluding to, not alluding to, is a a project methodology for delivering a project. And there's a 
like anything else in life, there are people that are, are, are very religious about, you know, how you do things. And then there are other people that just want to, to get on with the business of doing things and using the tools that give them the outcomes. But it's all, it's project management. Yeah. Right, right. So where in the world is it being, this thing being done very well? You know, um, Europe is probably, no one's doing it great, first and foremost. I'm just going to put it out there that, you know, no one has this amazing answer where they're like, we've got it all. Um, but Europe is a really great example of where some of the this thinking is coming from. Um, so if people look at Milan Gunther, who um, actually wrote the Intersection book, um, actually talks about enterprise design and what it is. Um, there is a conference that I actually went to uh, in Lisbon last year. Um, it's called the uh, Intersection. Um, you can go to intersection.com and I actually you know, encourage people to do so. Um, and it's a collective of all of these great minds and examples of great work around the world where people have applied enterprise design um, thinking to what we know as um, strategic design, what we know as user experience, um, enterprise architecture, all these different pieces of work to talk about how these folding disciplines and um, um, using a holistic framework um, has actually helped drive better outcome. Um, so for example, to give you an example of enterprise design being done in pockets, uh, let's talk about IKEA as an example. So IKEA actually uses a conceptual framework and, and, and use shared vocab to bring together everything that it creates from the color scheme that represents its Nordic origins to the names that it uses to um, tie to uh, ge geography in that area to always come back to its identity so that when it design, whatever it designs, it actually remembers its origin. Um, and, and that ties all of the designers from all over the world who comes in and create pieces for IKEA. And they also fold in really well throughout their design process, all the way from thinking, strategy, right through to delivery, um, and the products that they make, um, the principle that they hold on to, their mission, which is actually, yeah, they want to make great pieces um, of furniture for every better everyday life. They want everybody to be able to afford well-designed, functional pieces, right? That's that's a beautiful thing. Simplicity, functional, beautiful thing. Um, you think about, so you think about Apple. I mean, Apple is a classic one. Um, Apple thought about, well, how do you take design thinking and apply it to strategy to create um, innovation, that's another example of where it's done well. Yeah, that's outside of Europe. Um, and even another one outside of Europe is Instagram, right? Instagram used um, principles and, and aspects of design thinking to think about, well, they didn't have an end game from the, the very beginning to kind of understand what they were out and set out to create to the nth degree. They kind of felt their way through it and, you know, let people determine through experimentation to see what Instagram would and could become. Yeah. Sure. Examples of enterprise design. Um, Naomi's hit the the really highlight ones. I mean, you can look at Zappos out of Las Vegas. Um, that they really did. They came in and they had an idea of what they wanted to do, but they 
didn't really know how they wanted to do it and they didn't know how it was going to be successful. And, and they used enterprise design and design thinking principles to, to drive it. It's interesting. I mean, one of the biggest multinationals in IT is IBM. And IBM has all of their architects go through a design thinking course. In fact, That's you right. have to take a design thinking course to be an architect inside IBM. Um, and you learn a lot of the principles that Naomi is talking about, that whole idea about, you know, you may not know where exactly, how you're going to get to where you're going, but you put something up on a board and then you start doing design thinking principles to decide which way you're going to go. And, and stuff falls out of that, right? So you look at it and you go, well, this is something that we hadn't even thought about going this way. And that turns into something completely different than what you had originally planned to do, but ultimately gets you to the goal that you want to get at. Yeah. And, and it's not just about the products. Like a lot of the time we see people applying this to products, um, but it's actually about what you as an organization, your identity itself may need to change. Um, and it's about being open to that, right? Because mm. you... Apple is a great example of that. Yeah, because they had, I mean, what was it? Um, I want to say it was five or six years before um, they even started looking at the very first iPod. Uh, one of the founders had come up with the idea of a mobile device that had network access and you, that you could get uh, emails on and everything else. And Steve Jobs basically said, yeah, we're never going to make phones. And, and they went off and, and <laughs> he founded a sep completely separate company to build this product, ended up dying because it was way before we had any networks that actually could support it. But, you know, fast forward 10 years and the iPod turns into the next thing. And now I would hesitate to say this, but I think all three of us and probably every single person that listens to this podcast has a smartphone in their pocket. I mean, that's just what it is. My, I think my dad's the last person in Texas that doesn't have a smart, he still has a flip phone, which yeah, I give him a hard time about, but, but yeah, it, I, I, so that, that approach, that design thinking approach to, to driving not only product development, but the structure of the organization mm -hmm. to be able to do that. So this is a government town. Yeah. Right? I think we have an amazing opportunity to, I think it's, it's, it's being in this town, we have an opportunity to influence things, change things. Mm. So what can we do? Like, how can we get there rather than just talking about it? Oh, it's, it's interesting. Naomi and I were literally just talking about this over coffee. Yeah. Um, we, we need a little bit of bravery. We need bravery from leadership, but we also need bravery from the public sector. And that means uh, we need to be able to accept the fact that our leaders can make mistakes and fail. I think that I brought this up to Naomi, and I'd love to get her comment on it. We talked a little bit about it. I think a lot of the leadership has come back from the United States and Europe, and they're held to an account on a quarterly basis and their pay is held to an account on a quarterly basis in a way that they can't fail. So they're not willing to try things that endanger them of failing. And they come back to New Zealand and they bring that ethos back to New Zealand and they, they, that becomes the culture of the organization that, you know, uh, every three months I'm going to be held account to this. And so I can't, share my authority with anybody that isn't going to guarantee me 100% that I, they aren't going to make a mistake and aren't going to deliver something. And I think that 
that lack of bravery and willingness to accept minor failures drives a lot of the behavior that we see in the organizations. Mm. I think we're already starting to do bits of it. Mm. So one of the things that I actually enjoy going into an organization to do is challenge the leaders and say, why do you need to come up with the answers and tell your people what to do? Mm. Why don't you get into a room and just listen? Bring in some of your customers and just listen to the conversations that's being had between you know the customers or your sponsors and the people that work um, to get the outcomes in your area. And then together come up with an answer of what needs to be done, right? And who needs to do these things? Second, to the people who always like, you know, it's, it's so easy to just um, beat up on, on, on leaders and say that, you know, you didn't have the answer or, oh, they'll never get there or they never do this and that. But actually, people also need to come to the party and meet their leaders halfway and come up with a lot of ideas. Your ideas might not take, and that's fine, to actually continue to come up with ways, ask why is my idea not good enough, try and get an understanding from your leader's perspective of the system that's tying them down, of um, perhaps they have some questions that you're not able to answer that you haven't even thought about, and therefore they cannot pitch it for you <laughs> to go and get the funding that's you, that you require, um, to work collectively to try and make things better, <laughs> right? Um, it is it is really easy, and I hear all the time people saying, you know, um, you know, like uh, the, this leader will just come in um, for the next two, three years, and then they're off. That's right. So why don't we just wait? They're not going to listen anyway. It's like, well, have you given them a chance? Have you sat down? And to the leaders, have you sat down with your people to try and undo any of the um, whatever's happened, historical baggage that has occurred that, you know, makes people afraid to be brave, mm. to make people to feel that they can be empowered, that they can have space to come up with ideas, that you can create space to come up with ideas. Um, and to the leaders at all layers, including the executives and the boards, you know, the question if anybody struggles with um, experimentation, is why you have to explore that as a leader, I think, and as an as an individual, you have to explore because experimentation is not comfortable. We are not from a system or school of thought where you know we um, are rewarded an A plus for big question mark, <laughs> right, um, of a picture that is not clear. Um, but that's the world that we live in, though. Now. Everything that we knew doesn't quite gel true anymore. We have to operate in the gray. And, and the things are changing so rapidly, right? Uh, I really think we're in an inflection point right now in New Zealand. We have an opportunity in, in front of us. And if we can get those brave leaders that are empowering their people to do those experiments, to do those investigations, to pitch ideas, to open that up. New Zealand is at a place right now where I think that uh, we can become even bigger on the world stage. We can, I mean, we punch above our weight technology-wise anyway, but we really could become the go-to place for innovative technologies in the world. Mm. 
Yeah. I mean, we, we have so much going for us. It could be rather than, you know, all the really smart people wanting to move to the U.S. and Europe, it could be all the really smart people in the U.S. and Europe wanting to come spend three years in New Zealand so that they could see how it could really be done and taking the lessons learned from New Zealand back to the U.S. and Europe. Yeah, and I think we, we talked about this earlier. Um, we're already in some ways doing it, but just very small pockets like yeah. Audi yeah. testing out, you know, their battery um, rollout, uh, their, their Mevo cars yeah. concept in New Zealand, for example. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so why can't we do more of that? Um and and I think I mentioned to you earlier is I hear a lot of we can't or we're too small. Yeah, yeah. Quite often that oh, we're New Zealand, we're too small. That will never happen. Yeah. Um, maybe we need to take a check on that and kind of go like, what makes us think that we can be great at other things, but suddenly as soon as you know it hits enterprises or um, new systems for the way that we operate in, in, in our social services, whatever that we can't. I, I think our size is is a strength that we need to start. We need to highlight that is that allows us to pivot quicker. I mean, the reality is, is that really large multinational organizations are like giant ships. And so for them to pivot or them to do something innovative, what they do is they create small little companies on the side. They don't, they don't do it in their main organizations. And so New Zealand, we are small enough that we can pivot, but technologically advanced enough and large enough that we could actually do some really cool, really exciting, world-changing things down here. Yeah. I mean, w- one of the sad things that I guess, you know, I wish and I hope that we'll go again at it is um, the Innovation Lab. Yep. Was it perfect? No. Was it great? But did it take some bravado from somebody to actually go, you know what, we're going to put some money aside and just see what happens? Yes. Did good stuff come out of it? Yes. Did we get to know about all the good stuff? No. It's a DIA service innovation lab you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. and we may not have had it perfect, but yeah. right, you know, like a, it would be great to learn from that and go, well, what worked, what didn't work? How can we go again in a way that's not, you know, making the same, exactly the same um, copy of, of what, we, what we did, yeah. but actually take what actually was beneficial and go, how do we now do something more with it? That's right. And it needs to be, it needs to be, the reality is, is that an innovation hub needs to be more than just a public sector innovation hub or a private sector innovation hub. It needs mm-hmm. to be an innovation hub, an innovation hub that has strategic uh, guidance from the government, that has academic buy-in to what they're doing, and has commercial private sector investment in what they're doing. And those three, where the innovation hubs have been wildly successful, that's what we've seen worldwide. So it, it could be really great. Yeah, even if we just start with one thing, yeah. right? Uh, it doesn't even have to be just about public services or Mm-mm. private services. It could be, you know, a testing ground for some theories. And we don't love theories very much here. <laughs> we just want to get on and do things. But, you know, the irony is, even if you think about a rugby match, we don't just get our All Blacks out on the field and they just throw the balls around. There's a there's a lot of thinking that happens before that that goes on. So oh, massive strategy and planning and and that's that's what an innovation hub could be about. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So what's our ideal customer profile or sponsor profile? I should say. Let's talk about government first, mm. because the impact that 
a well-designed organization can provide is huge, right? Yeah. It's got a massive impact um, thing. So what would the sponsor look like? What do they have to be? You know, that's a really, really good question. I'm not sure that it's just a single sponsor thing. I think it's a collective of brave leaders who genuinely, genuinely wants to make a difference, not because of their career, not because of points on the board or whatever, but genuinely there's something in it from a human perspective in them that wants to make the world a better place. Yeah, it's 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 almost an ecosystem of leadership. We, we have, we've gone through a hundred years of, of, of leaders that have grown up from a business perspective with a business outcome view. We are starting to see brave leaders now who are yeah. thinking about the wider impact to humanity and the, the climate. And now we need those leaders to build an ecosystem that drives these innovative ways of looking at things and that, and are willing to accept, you know, in a brave fashion, willing to accept, not a hundred percent the very first time. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, if if we didn't accept a single, as an example, if we didn't accept a single casualty in space travel, we would have never launched people into space. <laughs> That's true. Uh, now, the percentages of casualties that we've had, even at just out of the U.S. space program, it's not a it, it's a significant number because of the few number of people that we've sent into space, but compared to, uh, uh, you know, the, the development of flight, it's, it doesn't even register on the bubble. Mm. Yeah. You know, like as you, as you was talk, as you were talking there and I was coming back to Rumi's question in my head and I was trying to visualize who would be at the table of these type of leaders, right? My goodness, to have someone like uh, Helen Clark, you know, oh, being yeah. part of that because she wants to make a change and oh, she's yeah. curious. To have somebody um, from the banking world, I don't know, even Gareth Morgan, right, would be awesome yeah. Um, yeah. at the table. A mixture of people coming together who genuinely are just curious to see what would come out of yeah. that space. Um, that would be that would be really yeah, really cool. A, a mix of the public and private sector. I mean, and there and there are people in the private sector that are, uh, you know, courageous leaders. I mean, if we look at the the um, complete change of the way IT was done inside Westpac New Zealand, mm. um, is it a hundred percent successful? Did it work the very first time? Everything out of the gate? No. Um, but it was it was a genuine brave attempt to transform the way that Westpac was doing stuff. That would be you know those types of leaders who are willing to take those chances, and to Naomi's point, not not care that it was going to negatively. If if every discussion at a leadership level is, is this going to negatively impact my career? Then you no one's going to be brave. They're not going to deliberately negatively impact their careers. I I, I wouldn't. I mean, if I, if I walk into a job uh, and I go, is this going to hurt my career? Then I step back and I, and I don't give my all into that, that job. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like um, people who, you know, whose mindset is, I want to go into something to work myself out of a job so that nobody ever needs me again for yeah. that particular thing. I think that's really important is if you have a problem that you'd like to solve or you're curious about, like, you know, is there an answer to it? 
and you step into that and you go, I hope that nobody uh, need me after this, whether it's because, not because I've successfully necessarily solved it, maybe it's because I started it, but actually I'm the wrong person for the job. And so therefore they realize that and I walk away and put somebody else that's great, you know, for the job. Yep. Um, that's that's the kind of attitude that you actually need. Um, and absolutely, it's a coalition of the willing, but it isn't just a romantic notion of I want to make a difference and that's that. It's a rom- it's a notion of I want to make a difference and there is something I can bring to the table to enable a bunch of people in my country that works with people from around the world, the brightest minds, the most capable um, people that are ready to roll up their, their sleeves for whatever period of time to come up with something that we can roll out and actually get really positive outcome. So how do you make a start? <laughs> Good question. <sighs> that's, um, you know, that's, I don't think anybody has the perfect answer. How do you make a start? I, I genuinely think just like anything else, if you look to our small business, you know, um, startups, uh, medium business operators, how did they make a start? Like how do entrepreneurs do it? Well, you want an answer, you want to get an outcome, just go figure it out. How did Instagram make a start, right? Didn't have the answer, don't know where this is going to go. Start somewhere, start with asking questions, start with what's around me? What do I see? What do I wish could be different? What do people want? I think, and and I'm not sure when you're planning to to publish this podcast, but I'm going to date it a little bit here. Um, this week, Tech Week in New Zealand is going on. And what I'm hearing coming out of Tech Week is there are a lot of entrepreneurs and there are a lot of small, medium, and even some large business owners who are talking about this exact thing. How do we make this happen? How do we do this? And, and part of it is investment. The reality is, is that you need venture capital investment, and I think there's there's some of that coming. I mean, Microsoft has decided they're going to put a data center here in New Zealand, which if you had asked me seven years ago if that was possible, I would have said no. Um, Catalyst Cloud is doing massive stuff with uh, their cloud here in New Zealand. They have three regions and, and have great product sets. Um I think some of what we're missing is, is that we're missing the public storytelling, which this podcast is doing some of that. And we're missing some strategic guidance from the government. So although the government has said that, you know, technology is important, it's the third largest export we have. What we haven't seen is we haven't seen a massive amount of, and we want to provide guidance for the direction that New Zealand is going to take from tech. Um, So I think, I think, you know, those three things together, public storytelling about this, the investment from the venture capitalists and the entrepreneurs, um, and some a little bit of strategic guidance from the government. And I think that that would put us on that path. That would start us down that path. Well, make a statement, right, by yeah. actually putting some um, time and, and resources aside to say that actually, yeah, we are going to drive this. We're going to do an experimentation for X months, mm-hmm. maybe six months. Um, we're going to actually put some people in there and see what happens. Not the same people, because I think diversity is important. Yeah. Not just, you know, 
um, from not even just New Zealanders. I yep. think we need to actually cross-pollinate this, right? And whether it's a case of we are putting something together to learn from um, a group of people on what they can find other countries are doing that, you know, we could look to mm. as an example, or even just you know, pull together a bunch of resources to kind of understand actually what are the top things that um, we really need to solve mm. that we may not have understood. I mean, that's that's a bigger piece of work, but make a start in something. Yeah. I, I, know, I know the government is really pro, you know, getting design thinking or design in place, uh, even for policy, et cetera. Put something together where, you know, throw some leaders together um, to have conversations with people that are outside of policy mm. around what does that look like um, to apply design? What does it mean for a leader to actually now uh, embrace design? What, where can I get some information? Mm. What do I need to do? And I think people might find it quite surprising that design itself is actually quite natural. It's not, it's a science, but it's a human science at the same time. It's not something that, you know, you need a PhD in order to make a head start. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We can talk for a long time. We sure can. <laughs> <I'd say. laughs> so I, I, at least it would be good to see the Service Innovation Lab starting up again, version two in Right. Mm. That's something that and, at least, and I believe they're they're planning that. I, the the report I saw out of uh, DIA is that there is a plan to spin it back up. I think the pandemic has thrown some monkey wrenches into quite a bit of stuff, but I'm I'm open to. I'm very much looking forward to seeing it as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I, what would be great is not just the service innovation lab, but actually. A combination of, you know, what's come out of the private sector and their innovation lab actually jamming together mm. with the public sector to kind of go, well, actually, what could it look like? You know, it doesn't have to be a singularity. Uh, it could actually be a coalition of many. And and it could be incremental change rather yeah. than uh, systemic revolutionary change. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to close off with a couple of fun questions. Same question from two different people. Favorite hangout joints in Valley? <laughs> Where this coffee? Um, for me, Floridita's. Is that it? Anything else? I love many places in Wellington, but you know what? I really love going into Floridita's um, and having a really solid cup of coffee. I like the decor in there. I like the. It's a very well designed place. I, I I have a thing about you know, well being a enterprise design I do need some some elements of design around my surrounding um I didn't actually drink coffee before I moved to Wellington um so for me it's probably whatever is closest to my current consulting gig is is probably my my coffee uh location of choice so around in the terrace I am actually yeah. on the terrace right now. So there's a Mojo, um, and I'm, I don't remember. Mojo the, Aurora. Yeah, Aurora. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. usually where I go. Yeah. Cool. Mm, good to know. <laughs> <laughs> it's close. <laughs> that's right. Hey, time to wrap up. Thank you both. Really enjoying having you here today. And sharing your thoughts, ideas, passion for all of us to make this beautiful land we call home an inspiration mm. to the rest of the world. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, great idea mm. to do a group podcast. Yes. podcast. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we didn't crash everything. Everything worked. <laughs> so 
Goodbye, everybody. Ma Tewa. Well, that was a really great conversation, and I want to thank Naomi and Rumi again for the opportunity to talk about it. I, I think we have some opportunities here in New Zealand, and if we can just find the right leaders that have the mandate to do the work and the courage to do it, I think we can do some truly great things. As always, follow me and give me feedback if, if you can, and check out Jump Out of Bed. It's a really great podcast series. Thank you.